You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. This is episode 40. Welcome to part two of the Pat Farmer story. In the last episode, we heard all sorts of fabulous insights and tales about Pat's epic runs, the way he began his career, his views on training and nutrition. And of course, he made that wonderful announcement, a scoop for the Team Guru podcast about the next run he has planned. In this episode, we talk about Pat's time as a federal politician why he hung up on John Howard multiple times, and the things he learned about the inner workings of our political system. And of course, we talk a little more about running. Pat tells us about the way running has helped to shape his philosophies on life and the perspective it's given him. Again, thanks to Matthew Walkham from Technically in Australia and Matthew and Paul at Bounce Rehab in Piermont. I started this segment by asking Pat, about how he found himself in Canberra as a federal member of parliament. 1999, you ran around Australia for the Centenary of Federation and John Howard was a massive fan, invited you to become part of his political party and you spent the next nine years in office, 2001 to 2010. Yeah, so look, regardless of what anybody thinks about politics uh, um, or what side of politics anyone's on or their thoughts and the whole thing, it's a bloody tough job and it's, um, it's, uh, it's to do it properly when you, if you're doing it not for yourself but if you're doing it for all the right intentions. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult thing because you are public property. Uh, um, anyway, I just finished doing the run around Australia for the Centenary Federation. I got called by the Prime Minister. I hung up on him twice because I thought it was my brother having a joke with me. Last, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't expect the Prime Minister to call me. And then I, I'm thinking, how did he get my number? And then I realised well, I was the Prime Minister. He'd probably get anyone's number if he wanted to. But at the end of the day. He broached it the right way. He said, look, Pat, I don't know if you're interested in, in um, uh, politics or not, but he said, if you would be prepared to run for us at the next federal election, I promise you my support and the support of the Cabinet to get things done for the people in your area, and I know that's something that you care about. So I have a simple philosophy in life. Opportunities come along, we either take them or we live on regrets, and that goes for absolutely everything. So I thought if the worst could happen is I'll give it a, I'll give it a shot. I won't get elected, uh, but at least I'll know this not that's not for me. So anyway, I gave it a shot and I did get elected, and, and I won by a second largest margin that, that year in a seat that they didn't think that would win. So I took in uh, Campbelltown and Camden area or that region out there, and I then held that for the next um, uh, nearly nine years, and then I got out of politics and went off and did the pole to pole. But uh, I was I was grateful I was able to learn a lot during the course of that time about the machinations of what happens inside inside politics and how it all how it all works. But I was also able to um, I was able to do some good for a lot of people, and I felt good about that. You know, we got a new medical school built out in Campbelltown, uh, which wasn't even on anyone's radar before that idea. And with my same naivety, I said, "Well, why don't we set up medical schools where we need doctors?" Next thing you know, we, we ended up building one there. We built one up in uh, Newcastle and one down in Wollongong as well. So 
yeah, you know, um, so that 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 helped. Uh, you know, helped an old lady get a set of teeth in her head that she uh, hadn't eaten anything solid for two years. And she came into my office crying because she was on a medical waiting list and she was due to get a set of dentures and she was sick, so she couldn't make her appointment. And then the department told her she'd have to go to the end of the queue and wait another two years. And she came into my office and she's crying her eyes out. And she said, um, my friends told me to come see you, Mr. Farmer. She said, I don't think I'll live for another two years. And she was as skinny as a rake. Uh, so all it took from me was a phone call, you know, to the right people. I made a phone call. And that's the power that you have in that position if you use it in the right ways. That lady got a set of teeth. She came in back into my office a week later and my staff were all crying because she had a smile that started this year and finished this year. It was beautiful. You know, so that were the things that I got out of, out of my time there with all of that. It was, it was quite a good... What surprised you most once you got inside that world about the way it works? Ah, uh, well, well... <laughs> I could tell you is that a whole other episode, is it? Well, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. Well, let me give an example... Okay, I, as I said, I left school when I was 14 years old. This will just give you an example. I left school when I was 14 years old. So I won the, the, the first time. Uh, three years later on, we go to the polls again. I won the election again. I get a call from the PM, says, Pat, I'd like you to be the parliamentary secretary for education, science and training. <laughs> I was the least educated person in the whole place, uh, not sport, not, not anything, but education. Like, really? Anyway, what did you say? I did, well, I gave it a crack and I did all right. <laughs> but, but, um, but the bottom line was, Brendan Nelson was a doctor. He headed up the AMA and they made him Minister for Education. So what I'm trying to say with all of that is, uh, without, without saying I'm too derogatory, was, is that often people will get picked for positions not because of their skill set. In the business world, you get picked because... Like if I've set up a business, I want somebody who's good at sales, I want somebody who's good at marketing, I want somebody who can deliver the, the job on time, I want somebody who, who can handle the phones, the reception, the marketing and all the rest of it, and I want experts in that field. So I don't get the, the sales person to start working on building the, the, the street sweeper machine because they know nothing about it, but that's what they do in politics. That's what they do in politics, all because this one's out of favour, so we've got to give them a promotion or this one is, um, this one, you know, like, oh, they just rely on the departments too much, you know, and the departments are consistent all the way through. So the departments, whether you have a change of government or not, you still have the same heads of the, the departments, still have the same departments, and say, thank God that we do, because often the people that are the ministers for the jobs don't know what the hell they're doing in that job, and luckily they get the right advice from the departments, and that's the truth about the situation. So like I say, and I, you know, I've got no bones about saying that with anybody across anything. I, I think we're very fortunate when we get somebody that knows what they're doing in that field and they're given the freedom to be able to make the right decisions. And if, when, if and when that happens, we end up with some great policy. Do you still observe politics as, as an ex-politician or do you go back to being simply a, a member of the community? Well, no, I'm a member of the community first and foremost, but you know what, like... You listen to the radio announcers and they're going, like, I don't want to get political here, so I, I, so just take all of this for the grain of salt. Please don't, don't see it anyway. But all the radio announcers on the radio today, they're all going, why would they nominate Kevin Rudd to be head of the United Nations, you know, blah, 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 and all the rest of it? 
And and they're all having this debate on there. And I'm thinking straight away, well, I know exactly why they're doing it because when it comes turned for somebody else to have a crack at it, they can't turn around and say, no, you didn't allow this person and he was ex-Prime Minister, so we're not going to do it for you. So it's very so you, you understand everything is a trade-off in politics. It's sad, but it's true. Everything's a trade-off. And that's why we don't like it. keep coming back to the fact we don't often get the best people for the best jobs. But thank God that we have the great people the next year down. Not elected. Well, well, here's a classic example. Um, you know, I was think, I'm thinking about all the stuff with Donald Trump and everything's happening over in the States at the moment. But there was Ronald Reagan, you know, there's one thing I'll never forget about Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was, was interviewed by the, the American media there one time after he won the election. Uh, and, and they said, you're, a, you're an actor. You're an actor. How the hell now you found yourself as the president of the most powerful nation on the planet and you're an actor. How on earth are you going to do this job? And he said, I'll surround myself with the best people I can possibly find and I'm smart enough to listen to them. And I think that's the sign of any good leader. Uh, I, I honestly believe, and this goes for business and everything else, that the places that work the best are when you don't even know who the boss is. The place is just running. And they don't care who gets the credit for it running well. It's just going well. And they're making all the decisions in the background, all the right decisions in the background, and they're listening to all the experts and then putting all that in together. But as soon as it starts becoming more about the person and more about uh, their ego and all the rest of it, that's when they get sidetracked. And sadly, uh, sadly, that's what's happened with Australia politics. Uh, um, uh, and I saw it happen, I think, probably from about 2005 onwards, because Sky TV started, they asked for permission to do 24-hour news around the clock. And so then, like any, it's like the the like the weekly papers, you know, they've got to re- put out a story every single day. So they've got to come up with stories every single day. So even if they've got nothing to write about, they've got to make something up or they've got to create something to write about. It's the same with that. So that's why we've gotten into the intricacies of, of political life now instead of things that really matter. Whereas the weekend papers, they've got a whole week to formulate their story. So it's better quality journalism in there. I notice in your running CV, there's a bit of a gap in that nine years you're in Parliament. The only thing of note that I <laughs> yeah. that I saw was the 24 hours up and down, second point time tower. in your life, up and down yeah. AMP Tower Jeez. for 24 hours, 100,000 steps, they reckon. First of all, I'd love to know what it's like to run up and down the steps for 24 hours, how that stacks up with the other things you've done. And secondly, is that just a sign of how your time is dominated by your job or in your politics? Well, uh, yes to the second question. And uh, with the first one, um, with the first one, I'll tell you how they came about. I ran up and down Sydney Centre Point Tower the first time. I was approached by, I just got back from doing the race across America and the Autism Association were trying to raise $100,000 so that they could teach one-on-one with the kids. Because if you can get to young kids with autism before they turn before they turn five, definitely, but by, by the time they turn three, you can make a huge difference to their learning capacity. So, but in order to do that, they need more teachers and they need the facilities to be able to teach one on one. So they're trying to raise a hundred thousand dollars, and they couldn't, you know, approach all these companies for a hundred thousand dollar grant. They couldn't get it. Fifty thousand dollar grants, they couldn't get it. Twenty thousand dollar grants, they couldn't get it. 
And then a guy who's a friend of mine approached me because he wanted to help him. And he said, Pat, can you help? Could you do a run and highlight the need to raise funds for this cause? And I said, well, how much have they got to raise? And he said, $100,000. And, and we were sitting in a building across from Sydney Center Point Tower. And, at, and just something just struck my mind at the time. I said, well, what if I did a run? What if I ran 100,000 steps and we got each step sponsored for just $1? And then I could see I could speak to audiences like this. See, we'd pick up 50 bucks here tonight if everybody put in one dollar. And then I'd go to a school and they'd have 500 students, and and each kid they'd have a mufti day at school. They there's 500 dollars there. So all of a sudden it starts to add up. They all sponsor it all. So I spoke at Rotary clubs, Lions, Apex. I spoke at schools. I spoke anywhere where anyone would listen to me. And I said to them, if I do this run, if I set a record. Will you sponsor one dollar for one step instead of asking a, a singular company for a hundred thousand dollars? See, you see what I'm saying here. This is the same with the running. This is the analogy in my whole life. You take an enormous task and you break it down into bite-sized pieces. So instead of worrying about how do I run across the whole country, how do I run across the world, how do I do that, you just concentrate on one step at a time and taking that. And if you do that, you can achieve the enormous task. So I looked at that and I thought, and I had this brainwave. So I said, this is what I'm going to do. And that's exactly what I did. I ran 101,939 stairs in 24 hours, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. I got each step sponsored for a dollar and we raised more than $100,000 in one 24-hour period. And then when I came back again a few years later on when I, was in, I got into politics, Tony Abbott was talking about doing a bike ride. I said, no. I said, uh, is he going to raise some money for um, uh, um, ovarian cancer? Uh, and I said, no, let's do this run that I did, and the two of us can do it. We raised $260,000 for ovarian cancer in that run. It was incredible, but that was the power of him being the health minister at the time. A lot of people wanted to support him and sponsor him, which was fine by me. So we all went to the right cause. And so we did the run up and down there. We didn't break the record the second time. Which did he good. slow you down, did he? <laughs> no, which was good. <laughs> oh, he, he, he did incredibly well. I think he ran about 90,000 stairs, which for a novice was pretty amazing. But um, we did that. So on the way up, it's all your heart and your lungs. So my, I felt like my, my lungs are going to come out of my throat. I'm gasping for breath on the climbing upstairs, as you can imagine, if you just do a couple of flights of stairs. On the way down, you can breathe no problems whatsoever, but it's all knee joints and ankles. And, and the staircase in Sydney Centre Point Tower is uh, like 11 stairs down, 180-degree turnaround. 11 stairs down, 180-degree turnaround. So I'm spinning around the same way all the way down and then the opposite way all the way up. And so you're hitting your hips, your ankles, and everything all the way down. But, um, yeah, but, but we did it. So... I think I've been blessed with reasonably good biomechanics and that's why I don't get injured. I'm able to do this stuff. I'm pretty neutral in my running and so I don't have a lot of the problems that you normally get from such repetition. A lot of money for charity and the thing that I'll remember from our conversation, one step at a time. Yeah, that's the key. That's the key to everything. It's like I go to schools and speak to kids and they get overwhelmed by the assignments and the work that they've got or looking too far down the track three years or four years for a university course or whatever. I said, forget about that. Just worry about, you know, just do one, the piece of paper that's on the top of the list, just do that. When that's done, just peel it over, have a shot at the second one and just see how far you can get. And just just do it like that. And it's amazing what we can all achieve if we take it in bite-sized pieces. Like the old saying, 
you know, uh, how do you eat an elephant? You eat it one bite at a time. Uh, and that's with that philosophy in mind, I've never looked at running across America has been 64 days. Running from pole to pole has been 10 months and 13 days. I've never, I've never seen anything has been that or across the Simpson Desert, three days, 17 hours. I've never seen it like that. I've always just seen, I just got to get through this day. I now can run for one day. I'll just get through this day and I'll worry about tomorrow when it comes. It's an incredible attitude, Pat. I've taken far more of my, the time that I should have. My apologies for that, but we still have time for some questions. Do you still have time for some questions, mate? Yeah, yeah I'm here for everybody. Here, so Fantastic. We do, do we have any questions from the floor? I'm sure we do. Pat, um, you've done a lot of running and everyone thinks, wow, how can I never do that? Has that been running being your toughest challenges or is something away from that being, being the toughest challenge? No, I think, life, I think life's the biggest challenge. I mean, look, you know, that, we're about to have the – like I'm on the Australian Sports Commission board as well, so we've sent all our Olympic athletes overseas and we're all going to be watching glued to our TVs and we're going to watch them and we're going to be cheering them on and we hope they get gold medals and we hope they achieve the best they possibly can and all the rest of it. But you know what? All of that, a gold medal around your neck, all that phase <coughs> and insignificance when uh, a family member's got cancer or, you know, or, or – or you've just lost your job and uh, you don't know where the next meal is going to come from and all these sort of things. So I think life itself is pretty bloody hard, you know, and, and I think the running helps me to put all that in perspective and that, that's what I love about it because if I have a problem and I go for a run, I can solve the problem and think clear. I can, you know, it just gives me time to think. And, uh, you know, Susie Moroney, the girl that swam, you know, English Channel and back again is a great friend of mine and, she swam from Florida, uh, Cuba to Florida and that sort of stuff. And she would say the same thing about swimming. And I know a lot of my mates are cyclists and triathletes that say the same thing. You know, you get on a bike and you can clear your head and you can just get out of your system. I find that these days we're under so much pressure. You know, we get a text message or we get a, 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 a message, an email or whatever. We feel like we've got to answer it straight away. We feel like we've got to do emails and we've got to do all of this. Somebody sent me an email, so I've got to send it back straight away because that's what they expect and that's the way it is. And business people will tell you that's the way it is. But I, I really think we've got to get as work-life balance and life-life balance under control. And when I say life-life balance, it's all about figuring out, well, what the hell are we doing this for anyway? You know, why, well, why run these long distances? Why do it all the rest of it? For me... You know, there'll come a day in my life where I close my eyes, I'll never open them again. That's the end of that. But, but until that day, I'm meeting new people, I'm doing different things, I'm exploring new opportunities, I'm seeing places I never dreamt of before. And, and so life's great, life's good. And to me, that is, that's the pursuit of happiness. That's, it's, it's all about just having a crack at life and getting out there. So you don't have to win the race, but you need to be part of the race. You need to, you need to get out there and you need to compete. You need to know what it's like to push yourself and be part of it all. You know, just sitting at home and allowing you sleeping in a little bit longer, you know, you're missing out on too much life and there's not that much of it to go around, you know. So you've got to make the most of it. Um, anyway, maybe I'm getting too philosophical. <laughs> uh, any questions, uh, shoes, uh, blah, 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 anything? What's your favourite food when you're out running your double marathon? Well, it's funny, you know, because I'm running across, I'm doing the pole to pole and Carl Stefanovic at Channel 9, as I was doing regular reports back to that, and he said to me, Pat, you know, I get down to the South Pole. And he said, Pat, it's amazing what you've done. You know, we've been following your trek all the way through. Anything you want, whatever you want, anything you want, 
we're going to have it for you when you get back. We, want, we just want you to do the first interview you, that you do, we want it, you to do it back here in our studio. And instead of saying, I want a Ferrari, I want a Porsche, or I, want, I said, I want to meet Pi. I'm in the South Pole, <laughs> believe me, and when you're in the South Pole, a Ferrari and a Porsche is completely useless. <laughs> a meat pie is very handy. Uh, and uh, so, lo and behold, he got the girl from MasterChef to cook up this beautiful big meat pie, and I ended up having the pie when I was on there. So you often think about the opposites. When I was in the Simpson Desert, all I could think about was I just wanted, obviously, I'm finishing at the Birdsville Hotel, all the ones that icy cold beer, but um, uh, uh, you know, an ice block or something like that. So you often think of the different, the different things to take you away from that moment that you're in, uh, to take you to a better place. So that's what you're thinking about. But realistically, what you really need, the real suggestions are there. You know, I was hungry when I was in the pub. Uh, I, 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 I weighed forty nine kilos. By the time I finished that run, it's well, just pretty damn skinny. Yeah, I well, you know, and I started at seventy-one kilos, and uh, uh, you know, so I was all, yeah, I was all, I was all skin and bones, you know, and I, I just couldn't, just couldn't get enough food, could not get enough food. This is why I have solids when I do the ultras, because uh, I find gels and goos and drinks, it's just not enough nutrition in it all for the amount of amount of calories I'm burning, you know. I think uh, Dick Telford, a great mate of mine from the AIS down in uh, Canberra, he figured, uh, he said, Pat, you need to eat around 12,000, 15,000 calories a day when you're doing that pole-to-pole run. So I went to Central Park, New York, because I, um, I spent a month over there training in, in 2010. It was a big winter there, a lot of snow. And I went and saw the polar bears. I wanted to eye one off and see what I was going to be up against. So I went to the zoo and they had polar bears at the zoo and I saw this polar bear and they had Fluffy the polar bear, whatever his name was, uh, 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 eats 20,000 calories a day, consumes 20,000 calories a day. And I'm looking at the size of this polar bear and I'm thinking there's no hope in the world I'm going to be able to consume uh, 10, 12, 15,000 calories a day. It's just not going to happen. And, of course, you know, sadly it didn't. But uh, but yeah, so I'm in solids. Um, uh, so what do I actually eat when I'm traveling along? Um, uh, uh, nuts, uh, dried nuts, uh, dried fruits, uh, lots of dried fruits. Uh, sultanas are fantastic, you know, because they've got that sugar base as well, so they give your head a bit of a hit as well. Um, uh, so I'll have those. If I can get coconut water, I'll have coconut water. I always said to everybody, if you ever see me advertising anything other than water, you know I'm being paid for it because um, the end of the day, I mean, that's it. That's that's it. All the additives and all the rest of it. Yeah, they're good, but you know we can take too much of them. I'll just say there's nobody here from Gatorade, is there? Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I don't want to get sued, but this is the truth. I was doing some uh, training for the run across the Simpson Desert. Uh, and I, the second time, and so I took on a whole lot of uh, help from from uh, Chief Nutritionist Helen O'Connor, uh, Martin Thompson, uh, sports scientist out at, and this was when the facility was out at Leakham, the, they had the, the, the sports science division out there, an extension of the uh, Institute of Sport. And so I would train in this room that was uh, uh, like a squash court, had a glass front, and a scientist there from CSIRO on the outside, they were monitoring absolutely everything on me how much I weighed before I went in, how much I weighed when I came out. I'd run on a treadmill. The floor would go up and down, simulate uh, 1,000, more than 1,000 sand dunes that I would run across during the course of the run. 
so it simulated that. They had the temperatures, they had heaters in there. The temperature was set at 50 degrees Celsius. And they had a hot fan blown in my mouth to, to simulate the drying out of my throat. And then they would measure me, weigh me before I went in and when I came out and all the rest of it. Anyway, cut a long story short, I was also trialing this clothing, which our Olympic athletes ended up using in the 2000 games called sport wool. It's a wool uh, blend. And the way it's knitted has excellent wicking properties. It takes the moisture away from your body and then you get a cooling effect from the moisture coming to the outer layers as the air passes over it. So I was trialing this product. And so uh, the guys from CSIRO were very interested in the clothing. Anyway, my cl the clothing got a stain in it that they couldn't get out, this, this orange stain in it from the Gatorade, from me spilling it when I was drinking. They couldn't get the stain out of it. And this, these are the scientists. So they kept on going through, and why can't we get the stain out of the clothing and all the rest of it? There's something wrong here. Now they figured out in the end, they, they worked out they, the numbers on the, on the back of it. I don't know if it's changed. Hopefully it's changed now. But the numbers were the same numbers. So it was the same product. It's, it's a clothing dye. That's why the clothing dye, that's why the, the, the dye, the colour, wouldn't come out of the clothing because it's what we use to actually colour clothing. And that's what they were using in our drinks. So, so you know, turn me off that straight away, obviously. But, <laughs> but, and if you're taking a whole lot of it, I mean, you wouldn't know so a small amount, but if you're taking a whole lot of it, surely there must be some of that residue sits in your gut, it gets into your system or whatever with all of these things. So... Be very careful about any of these things that are coloured up and try and figure out, try and find out if it's natural colouring or if it's if it's something that's not. Because, you know, these are sorts of things that are going in such a simple product that we all take for granted like that, and that's what they discovered with, with that. But anyway, that's Let's the side one. Let's have one more question. Any more questions? What's the best piece of advice you were given when you started out running? And given your experience now, do you have any better advice for it? Yeah, um, the best piece of advice that I got was that bit of advice I mentioned earlier on from Cliff Young. He said, in order to win a race, you have to finish the race. So with that, I've gone into everything. Uh, with uh, My number one goal in life is to finish every single thing I start. So that's what, that's what I always make. That's the number one thing. And then from there on, I try and better my position from there or try and do as well as I can. So that was the best advice I was ever given. And I try and translate that to people as well because I think it's it's a good it's a good lesson for everything in our lives you know so easy we, we take things on but we just give them away uh, you just be careful about what you take on but see it through to the end every single time you know uh, obviously there's certain things in our lives that we have no control over but it's a good way to it's a good way to enter into a, 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 a situation we had a dead heat for the last question, so oh, we'll yes, go sorry. with one more. Um, I was pretty amazed that you were running on a stress fracture. So well, don't be amazed. It was just a stupid thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, and I, I certainly wouldn't recommend it. But, uh, but yeah. where I was in that point, I was in, I was in, I'd first, it was the first time in my life I'd ever gotten sponsorship for an event, yeah. ever. I was on the other side of the world. I was in America. <laughs> Tears rolling out my eyes. I'm in a hell, a world of pain. I've led the race for the first 20 days, and I was looking down the barrel at losing all of that, and I was looking down the barrel at coming home to Australia, absolute failure in my own eyes. Uh, and and so it was just that the, you know, I just couldn't face that. So that's why I kept pushing on, and uh, 
I wanted to say through the end. How, how do you cope with injuries in general? Well, we're absolutely in the right place as far as that's concerned because uh, um, <laughs> prevention, as they say, prevention is better than cure. So the whole idea in the first place is to make sure that you make part of your training regime uh, all of the all of the other things. Uh, you know, in my case, I'll do a bit of indoor rock climbing for stretching and stuff like that, but also do Pilates classes as well. Uh, and um, you know, one of these days, I'll 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 work with the I'll eventually get to a decent yoga class and be able to do it all right. But I'm working up to that. Uh, but um. But you, you need to you need to be able to take that on. Plus, a good trainer, uh, it, I, I've no doubt they've got good trainers here, but a good trainer is somebody that can look at you, can identify a, a problem with you, whether it be the way that you stand, a hip's too high, a shoulder's too high, a, you know, spine's curved, or this or that, and give you a treatment or whatever so that you don't stop what you're doing, but you can you can accommodate that and you can strengthen that area. It's, just, it's the old saying, you know, every trainer knows, it's all about you need to stretch the tight bits and you need to strengthen the loose bits. And, and so it's about taking on that advice. I learned a long time ago that I don't have all the answers. And if I'm going to make it in this business and I want to be good at what I do and I want to travel the world and I want to be recognized for what I do, I need to listen to other people who are experts in their fields. And the other thing too is like I'll go out, I'll have a hit out tomorrow morning and I'll feel like crap and I'll and it'll be hard work for me. That's because when I train, I train hard, I work it hard. Um, that's how I get the benefits of it. But if I wanted to look good and I wanted to, you know, I would always train under what I'm capable of doing. But if you do that, you never improve. So you have to be true to yourself. And you've, got to, you've just got to realize that it, it's not glamorous. It, it doesn't look good when you've got snot hanging out your nose and you're covered in sweat and your hair's all over the place and you're a mess. But, but you know, and you're, you're in a spin class or something, you know. <laughs> it's not great. It's not great. But you're giving it everything that you got. When you come out of there and you clean yourself all up, you know that that session was really worthwhile and you've progressed so that, you know, when you do get to the main event, you've got the tools to be able to do well at it. Uh, instead of holding back, so it's about you know, leaving nothing on the table. But with your training, with your training, because you win events in training, you don't win them. Uh, you don't win them at the event. The, if you do your training right, then the events just a process that you will go through. And by winning, it's what your own individual idea of winning is your own PB. Um, no further questions. Just one more, Pat. Oh yeah, um, sure. Just using your analogy or metaphor as a race. Does everything you're going to have a finish line? So when you're going to nine years of politics, was that to be in there for nine years? No. Like what, how you said there to finish everything that you start, where's the line to finish the race? How do you judge that when it's not necessarily I want to run 40Ks or whatever it might be? Yeah, well, it's sort of like setting up a business as well. You know, you set up a business, you work hard at it, you've got a business that you can leave to your kids or you've got something that you've established and it's ticked along pretty well. Um, that doesn't mean you have to stay in there until the day that you die. It just means that you've worked hard enough to make it a success. You've done what you needed to do in that field and, and it's time to move on from there. A smart person is always uh, reassessing themselves, their situation and looking at, okay, well, what's the next opportunity or where do I head off from here? or What, what more can I do along these lines? 
um, uh, with the political career, you know, I got to the stage where uh, we were changing leaders. I mean, it was a Julia Gillard, it was a Kevin Rudd, it was that, that whole scenario, get backwards and forwards, John Howard had gone by the way. So I'd just, I'd sat through the, pr the problems with Peter Costello not, not putting his hand up, he wanted to be the leader, didn't want to be the leader, wanted to be the leader, but wanted everybody to ask him to be the leader. You know, so I sort of persevered through, I was in the background of all of that and I'm observing all of this and I got to a stage where I just felt, wow, you know, like uh, um, I could be doing so much more with my life, I think, a bit more at this time. So, and I'll tell you what happened to me, for those that you don't know, I didn't lose an election uh, with the people, What I lost the party support. So I didn't um, that I didn't I didn't stand uh, at the 2010 election. That was the end of my that was the end of my time there. So um, yeah, it, it was what it was. But that was fine. Uh, I could afford it, but I was at a stage where I just thought this is just not worth. You know, I'm in a place where I don't want to be, and it's a bit like being in a bad job or a bad situation. You know, you can waste a hell of a lot of your life uh, living a lie or doing something that you don't really you're not enjoying any longer and you're not feeling comfortable with. So uh, this life's too short. Well, why, why would you? So, you know, I, I, so I, I make decisions based on that, you know, and, and same with the running. And I, I just want to reiterate, I don't see myself as a great runner. Uh, it's the, the running's the tool that I use to be able to raise funds for Nunny Cully Foundation, Girls Education or Autism Association or Lifeline or Father Chris Riley or, you know, whatever. Uh, and whatever I can do that, that's good. And if I find a better way to do it, well, then I'll, I'll take that up. But I do, I enjoy, I enjoy everything. You know, I enjoy life. You know, I enjoy mountain bike riding. I enjoy snow skiing. I enjoy cross country skiing. I enjoy uh, rock climbing. I enjoy, you know, anything. So I think at the end of the day, it's about being active. And if, uh, running is a great basis for so many other sports. So if you've got that behind you, then you can jump on a bike or you can have a crack at something else because you've got that base fitness. So that's what I love about it. I think we might leave it there. Pat Farmer, it has been an absolute Thank pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Pat Farmer. That was Pat Farmer. There really isn't anything more I can offer. Pat's story is simply incredible. And he did a fine job of sharing it with us all. I love to have guests on the podcast who have achieved wonderful things and are willing to share the intimate details of their experiences. And then are able to articulate the lessons they've extracted from their journey. And Pat is a master at doing those things. Again, I'd like to thank Matt at Technically in Australia and Matthew and Paul at Bounce Rehab for hosting this terrific event. It was great to meet you all and take the podcast on the road. And I have to admit, I learned some hard lessons about recording quality audio out of the comfort of my studio. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Pat on the podcast page from this episode. You'll find it on the Team Guru website. That's teams with an S dot guru forward slash podcast. If you like this episode, share it with your friends, subscribe and rate us on iTunes. You'll find me on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud and Stitcher. And you can always email me directly, david at teams.guru. 
I'll be back next week for another episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now. Thank you.